episode of the Two Brothers and Their Sports podcast. Our topics this week are our weekly power rankings and the NBA's plans. And at the end, we have an interview with Premier League and Duke soccer player Peter Straub. This week, we rank the AFC South, including the Jacksonville Jaguars, Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, and Tennessee Titans. All these are pretty good teams because two of them made the playoffs. So I'll start with my fourth. I'm probably going to have to put the Jaguars. I know that the Colts aren't that good either. They didn't make the playoffs, but now they have probably a Hall of Fame QB, T.Y. Hilton for him to throw to, a good tight end, and very good off- a very good offensive line, and a good defense. So I'm going to have to put the Jaguars at fourth because, yeah, they have Gardner Minshew. Yeah, they have Leonard Fournette, but he gets injured way too often. They do have a good wide receiver core, but like their tight ends aren't reliable. They need an offensive line and parts of their defense, so I have to put them fourth. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I'm going to put the Jaguars fourth. They don't have a firm QB yet. Gardner Minshew didn't start all of last year. He was a good step-in He played a good step-in role for Nick Foles, but then at the end, he started to throw a lot of interceptions, especially in the crucial game versus the Texans to um, have them make the playoffs, and he was starting instead of Nick Foles, the Jaguars trusted him, and he threw so many picks in London. So that, I just have to put them fourth. They also have Leonard Fournette, as I said, but he is injury-prone, just like Todd Gurley. I'd argue more. He gets injured so much, his knee, just like Todd Gurley, and he he's a really good running back. He's versatile if he stays healthy, but we haven't seen that except his first year. So I don't think he is capable of carrying the team on his back. I have him fourth. They also, they have okay wide receivers. They have Chark, who stepped in a lot last year, um, but that's about it. And then their defense, uh, their defense was really good a couple years ago when they made it to the AFC Championship game. But after that, they just haven't had the same intensity as they had that year. So I have to put them fourth. Yeah, and then third, like I said, I do believe that Phil Burgers is going to perform so this is a hard one because there are two teams that made the playoffs, but I believe that Philip Rivers will perform. And I believe that, not unlike last year, Deshaun Watson is gonna is not going to step out up. He does not have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. He was good enough to at least make it into the third position, but without DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to go nowhere. DeAndre has been hitting over 1,000 for consecutive seasons, and he's been playing up. And then their running back, their running game isn't too good. Their offensive line isn't too good, so they really need some help. They do have a good franchise QB. They just need to build around him. And like everyone's saying, the worst off-season move. I mean, they did get David Johnson, but if he's a bust, this could go down as one of the worst trades in history. And what? How do you just trade away the maybe the NFL's best wide receiver? Yeah, um, I also would put the Texans. Actually, no, I put the sec- Texans second. I would put the Colts third. Because Philip Rivers, he had an okay year last year. He had really good wide receivers, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and some other receivers stepped up. But now he only has T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. I don't think that's a good combination. It's a good combination, but not for Philip Rivers. And their defense is okay, but I, I don't think it can get them past the playoff team. Yeah, but you're talking about a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, I know, but... You have to keep in mind, the Texans made it to the playoffs last year only to lose to the Bills, and the Bills were really good. Even though Deshaun Watson doesn't have um, DeAndre DeAndre Hopkins, he has Will Fuller and Kenny Stills still, who 
Kenny Still Still, who both have who both had really good seasons last year. Will Fuller stepped up into the role a lot. And Deshaun's a mobile QB. You saw the play against the Raiders where he got kicked in the face and still threw a touchdown. That was crazy. He has amazing focus. He can put the team on his back. They ha- they had a pretty good draft. Their defense was good. So I just have to put them number. Uh, I just have to keep them higher than the Colts. Okay, well you're saying put them on his back. But what about DeAndre Hopkins? His touchdowns last year. So you're telling me that seven touchdowns last year, 104 receptions, over 100 receptions, and 1,165 yards isn't going to make a difference? I'm not saying DeAndre Hopkins is replaceable because I don't think he is. But they have two okay receivers, and I think Deshaun can make use of them and throw to them, and they can have a better year than they had last year. Stills had four touchdowns, and Fuller had three. That combined is seven. That combined is DeAndre exactly. Hopkins, and both of their yards combined is probably barely more than DeAndre Hopkins. What does that tell you? No, but what what I'm that? saying he's irreplaceable. But he couldn't even make it past the Bills with DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, now let's move on to our second team. And my second team is between the Colts and the Titans. And there's no way the Colts will beat the Titans. Even if they just play a game, yeah, Ryan Tannehill, I believe, is a little bit overhyped. But then you're talking about the the least best runner. Derrick Henry won the title last year, and you're seeing him pro- progressively going up. And then they have amazing wide receivers. Um, A.J. Brown, he averaged over, like, I think over 10 yards a catch. That's, that's a first down every catch. And then he had over 1,000 yards. They have a pretty good tight end incoming, like Blake Jarwin, I believe. He's kind of similar. Johnny Smith. They're, they also have Delaney Walker. Exactly. Delaney Walker, a vet who was hurt last year, and they still made it that far. And then their defense is perfect. I just believe that the Colts will have to be second. Yeah, so I'm going to put the Texans second. As I said before, they have all those weapons. Deshaun can make stuff happen with his legs, with his arm. As I said last year, the kick in the face with the Raiders, um, and he still threw a touchdown pass. Amazing focus, um, uh, amazing awareness, evading two tackles against the Bills, spinning, making them collide against each other, and then throwing, checking it down to make a crucial field goal, um, make, it, make a crucial field goal attempt for their kicker. But I don't think they can pass the Titans. I don't think anyone in this division can pass the Titans. Derrick Henry is so versatile, so strong. Combination of Emmett Smith and Marshawn Lynch. It's like beast mode in him at a baby. It's literally his nine yard, ninety-nine yard touchdown last year or two years ago. I he he barely won the rushing title last year, but he's just so powerful. He runs like beast mode. It's crazy. I no one can beat. No, no. I think he'll win the rushing title this year. He just has to be first, and the Texans just have to be second. They, there's no way they can beat that. The NBA was planning to reopen in Florida, but now it's becoming the new epicenter. Some players are saying that they're going to sit out. Yeah, among those players, there's Avery Bradley, Davis Burton's, and Trevor Ariza. Those are the players who decided to sit out. They had until. June twenty second, and now no one else can opt out. But yeah, Kyrie's taking a stand. He's a superstar. A bunch of players, and basically, what were you saying? Basically, I was saying that those players sat out and they acknowledged the risk. And just today, something came out that sixteen of the three hundred two NBA players test positive for COVID. 
They started testing today or yesterday, and already 16 of 302. That's 5.3%. And don't you think that will grow when they play games? There's no way that's going to go down. That's virtually impossible. They would have to quarantine everyone and not even be, not even let them play by their team. That's not even possible. The rate's only going to go up, especially with their their plan. Their plan is to only quarantine the player for seven days. They could not. They could be a false uh, false negative. So that just will ruin everything. The percent will only go up, and there's no way that this self isolation or this plan will work out, I don't think. There, it's just, Florida's already the epicenter, already the hub. It's only growing. Things are reopening. The NBA is considering not even doing it. So if you're considering not even doing it, this is a main factor. This is a main thing they're focusing on. 5.3%. That's a huge percent and 120th. And I don't think they can pass that. Yeah, so like I was saying, um, there's no way this is going to work. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but like yeah. Florida being the epicenter, it's not going to work there. If it's going to work anywhere, then it's going to have to work somewhere else, and they're not going to have some players because they're opting out. Yeah. It just won't work. And most you need to have assistant coaches, coaches, there's different positional coaches, and then there's all the players. That's so many people. And then you also have like the owners, the training staff. There's way too many people. You need like a whole county yeah. to be able to quarantine all these people. And, I mean, they could try, but most people aren't going to play. It's going to be haphazard. Yeah. It won't work out properly. They could try, but I believe that it won't. Yeah, basketball is a very physical game. It's not as physical as it has been. But if someone, if there's five seconds left in the game, you're up by two, and the other team has a ball with a chance for three, there's no way you're just going to socially distance six feet away and let them shoot the three-pointer. That's just unrealistic. You have to get your hand on the person and not let them shoot. And that is direct contact. There's no way this plan is going to work. And as I said, we are not trying to be Debbie Downers, but we just don't think this plan is realistic and will work out. But we hope it does. Yeah, we hope. Us, many sports fans, Arsh and I, are hoping that, and the NBA and the NFL for that matter, both come back and come back in time for us to have the season continue. Now, please enjoy our interview with Premier League soccer player for West Ham United and Duke University soccer player Peter Stroud. Peter Stroud, a native of Chester, New Jersey, currently plays his soccer with West Ham United. A center midfielder, Stroud joined West Ham United in the summer of 2018 and has played for the U18 and U23 squads for the past two years. Prior to his move to England, he was a member of the New York Red Bulls Academy. He made his debut with West Ham in a 1-0 victory over Swansea City in 2018 at age 16 and made his first appearance as a sub against the same club in the Premier League two months later. Mr. Stroud has been a fixture with the U.S. youth national teams, earning 12 international caps with the U15 squad and for the U17 side. Top Drawer Soccer rates the New Jersey native as a four-star player and 15th among its IMG Academy 150. Mr. Stroud, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I look forward to speaking to you guys. So tell us your introduction to soccer and when you first started playing. Yeah, so um, actually I have three older brothers and my dad is originally from England. So I was kind of born into the game. My dad played soccer he was from england he lived there for for 18 years and then he came out here 
to to play soccer at a at a college and in england um soccer is just a, a way of life out there um and and when all i've luckily i had three older brothers so um my dad was able to get them all into soccer at a really young age and we weren't really into many other sports i mean my dad kind of just threw a ball our way and uh we all kind of just fell in love with the game and we've all took it in stride and I think it's become um, just a, probably the most important part of all of our lives as a, as a family. I mean, as a family, our weekends revolve around soccer, who's playing, which one of us is playing. And it really just started from my dad, really throwing a ball to us when we were uh, two, two, three years old. So it's just been my lifestyle since I was born. So how do you train and how long do you train a day? Yeah, I'm, Obviously, quarantine's kind of um, gotta gotta put a stake in the plan. Obviously, but um, when I was at West Ham, it was kind of just a full time thing, really. I mean, I'd report to the training ground at eight thirty for for breakfast. Um, so and then we we'd have pre pre training prep to get our bodies ready for the for the training we were about to do. And then training began at um, 10.30. And depending on the day, um, the session could be anywhere from two hours to, to only an hour. Um, but obviously, some days we'd have to do double sessions, which is another maybe hour in the afternoon. Um, and then we also had gym sessions, which would be would switch week daily with uh, the double sessions. So we'd train in the morning at 10.30ish, and then we'd have either a gym session for um, another session in the afternoon. And I've kind of tried to just maintain that. Obviously, I haven't been able to be at the club um, because uh, of corona. So just trying to maintain that like two or three hours a day, really. We're focusing on different stuff every day. So how and when did you really start to get serious about this? Um, I would say I kind of got serious about it when I went to um, – Red Bull, when I first went to Red Bull's Academy at about um, 12 years old, I think that's kind of when I started to realize that I did have potential in the game. I, I started to realize that I could do things um, that a lot of other kids couldn't do, mostly just reading the game and stuff and just loving it. I noticed that it quickly became a massive part of my life. Everything revolved around my weekend games, and I had started to um, – I'm one of the better players at a young age, um, largely in part to me playing with my older brothers all the time every day, which was really difficult for me because I was playing up with kids that were five years older than me. So they kind of taught me to just, when I played my age, they allowed me to succeed more because I was used to the, the standard. And as I went up the ranks, it was easier for me. Um, but I'd say around 12-ish. And then obviously when I got called into my first national team camp at um, – uh, 14, I think it was, I realized, like, this could be my future. So, yeah, that, I'd say around that age. And you touched on this a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about your brothers and what influence they had on your sports career? Yeah, my brothers are probably the biggest influence for me, honestly. I think we're all pretty – my oldest brother's 25, and then I have a 23-year-old, and then I have a 20-year-old. So they're all – fairly older or not fairly but they're all older than me and um I think when we were younger we used to play every day 2v2 because I had 
I had three older brothers, which meant there were four of us. So it was uh, it was really good to be able to play two v two with them and playing with older players at a younger age like that. So I was sometimes I was like seven or eight when we started playing pretty competitively in the basement and I was playing with my older brothers who were a lot bigger faster definitely way better on the ball than me at that age so it kind of taught me to grow up quicker um which I think in the long run has helped helped me tremendously because it puts you in situations that a normal maybe 10 15 10 11 12 year old would not be in playing with older brothers that are pretty very good and they still are pretty good. We play today a lot, but luckily I can uh, I can boss them around now. They're not the ones doing the bossing around. <laughs> Walk us through the process of getting recruited by a club and a university. Yeah, so um, it was fairly easy, to be honest. I mean, um, I think I, I wasn't really focused too much on taking the college route, um, but... Duke especially made it just feel so appealing. Um, it was not an easy process. Obviously, there comes a time where you have to make a decision, which can be really difficult because um, you don't want to let people down. But I think the process kind of started when I was a sophomore in high school, even a freshman, because luckily I was able to play up and, and I was able to play with kids that were juniors that were supposed to be going to college. The coaches saw me early, um, which helped me. But um, I think when I was a sophomore, they started to, to reach out thinking I was a junior, but I wasn't. Um, but when I was a junior year, September 1st, um, it's kind of a crazy day. You kind of get a lot of text messages from different schools. And for me, it was just choosing the best school, both academically and, and the one with the best coaches. I think Duke was a perfect fit for me. Um, I went on a visit there. Um, last May, and I just realized it's, it's a beautiful place um, with really, really, uh, really good people and other coaches as well. Made me realize that this is the place I want to be if I want to develop my game and and develop as a person. So. And how did it feel when you were signed by the New York Red Bulls? Yeah, I'm signed by the New York Red Bulls. Obviously, it was such a young age, but. Um, it was great for me, to be honest. It was kind of a, a risky decision as a family. We didn't know whether we wanted to stay at the club where all my brothers were at or take a different path. And we decided to take a different path, and it ended up, I think, working out really well for me. Um, obviously, love the club. Red Bull was uh, really good people, um, really good for developing people. But obviously, it was a difficult path for me to take because I could have stayed safe instead of PDA. But I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Having those coaches at such a young age definitely helped me in the long run. In college, how do you balance playing soccer for a club and Duke while getting all your schoolwork done? Yeah, so when I get to Duke, actually, I'm only going to be playing for Duke, um, which is a which is really important. That that season with Duke is extremely important, obviously, because it's a very short season, and it's really important that you win games in that short season. So I'll only be playing with Duke. Um, and obviously, academically, it's going to be going to be a challenge, but life is uh, filled with challenges. So hopefully, I can just um, take it and run, try and be the best best student and best player I can be. It's going to be a definitely difficult finding a balance, but um, yeah, I, I really look forward to it. Do you participate in virtual practices and meetings with Duke or your club? Yeah, yeah. So at Duke, actually. Um, We've had a lot of Zoom meetings the past couple of weeks. 
um, really just to get the boys together and uh, see how everyone's doing. Because obviously it's a difficult time. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. I mean, it's been really good to interact with the whole team and and just be together on a phone call. And it's good for the freshmen like me to uh, interact with the older players, the senior players, who are going to be really important this year. So it's also good to hear from the coaches and hear how this where they stand and where the school stands on coming back, you know, with weekly updates. So it's really good to hear that, obviously. And it's really important for us to, to get together now because the season's coming quicker than you think. And I think all the, the boys need to be ready to go. And it's been really good, obviously, on the fitness part, with practices and stuff. We've been getting plans to stay fit, which has been extremely helpful so that when we get to preseason, We'll be ready to go with uh with no issues, no injuries or anything. So yeah. So what is the plan to get back to soccer after this quarantine? Um, I think we'll we'll be back hopefully in end of July. Um, and it's gonna be a really good feeling. Um, especially just to get back into organized things. It's been a been a it's been a long quarantine just playing every day with, with my brothers. It's been good, but um, I'm really excited to get back to uh, team, team-built team stuff, um, you know, more organized stuff, which is definitely uh, – I've definitely missed it. Um, and I'll never take it for granted when I play again, for sure. And soccer is a very up-and-coming sport in the United States. So what advice do you have for someone who wants to actively pursue this and what are some of the most important things you should really focus on? Yeah, I think soccer's definitely, definitely um, made tremendous strides in, in the United States the, um, in the past couple of years, I'd say. And I think it's um, it comes down largely to the younger younger generation um, starting to to get a more more of a grip on the sport and understand it's uh, how it can be such a beautiful thing. And I think that it will be difficult in the coming years to, to catch up to these European countries because it's all they have. Whereas here we have football, baseball, all those other sports. Whereas in Europe, everything revolves around soccer. It's pretty much one of the only sports they have out there. So I think it's going to take, a, we, although we're making strides, it's going to take a little longer. But you can see with certain individuals that are playing right now that we're making, we're producing really good players. Um, which is always exciting. And I think if I had any advice to younger people, I'd just say love the game because that's the best way to to enhance your performance. I mean, if you just love soccer and you, you play it all the time and it's your livelihood, that's what may, will make you a better player and that's what will push you further than anyone else. I mean, it's hard to find someone in America that loves the game that much, but if you love it and you live for it and you all you want to do is play soccer, That'll separate you from everyone, and that'll put you on a path that can that can help America and make it a better soccer soccer country. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely growing, and I think that it'll continue to grow. But I still think we have a couple a lot of strides to make. But I love I love the direction it's going in, and I I hope it can continue in this direction. Mr. Stroud, Arv and I had a great time talking to you, especially about how hard you've worked to get where you are right now. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was really good to speak to you guys. I hope you guys are uh, doing really well, and thank you for catching up. You guys are the reason we play sports. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this week's Two Brothers in the Sports podcast. Tune in every week to hear the latest in the sports world that week. Listen wherever you get your favorite podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Leave a review for what you want to hear. We check those daily, and your subject might be in the next podcast episode. Thanks, and have a great rest of your day. Yeah.